Today is Wednesday. It is February 1st, 2023, and it is 2.45 in the afternoon. Hi, this is John Williams. You're listening to the Mincing Rascals podcast. Thank you, and share us with your friends, please. And listen to portions of this broadcast Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Listen for me on WGN Radio, weekdays from 10 to 2. Hey, guys, it's Brandon Poe from WCIU Show on the Block of Block Club Chicago and WBEZ. I'm Austin Burke from the Illinois Policy Institute, and you can listen to my podcast, America's Talking. I'm Eric Zorn, former columnist from the Tribune, and I'll write the Picayune Sentinel Stubsack newsletter. By the way, in the pre-roll that we did, we always do a little video preview of what we're about to talk about. Eric posts it. It exists on WGNRadio.com as well. I think Brandon said I have a shirt on that makes me look NPR-ish. And then I rolled my eyes and said, oh, please, not that. Um, if, if you have any affiliation with NPR, thank you for listening to and watching. We appreciate it. Brandon, I, f- yeah. I forgot you've got your <laughs> shingle hanging over there a little bit, too. Uh, yeah, well, and, so does, and, and, and Brandon and my wife, Johanna, are both uh, do uh, contract work for WBEZ. So we are uh, – Going to go silent now in protest. <laughs> no, don't. I need you. I'll tell you what that's all about, though. For those of us at WGN Radio on the commercial radio side, I think a lot of us over the years have looked at the resources that a BEZ or an NPR affiliate has. Like, how many producers will work on a two-hour show or a one-hour show? Uh, for my four hours, I have one producer who has multiple responsibilities. And then I'll listen to somebody, and they'll say, well, this hour was produced by. And then there's like 19 people, and I just slap my head going, you've got to be kidding me. So that's what that. So that's what that was all about. Pardon me for starting on a petty little tangent. There. I get it. I get it. It's sort of like the daily podcast. Like this podcast is produced by a few of us, and we all tweak it a little bit. But if you listen to the daily, there must be fifteen people who produce that podcast every day. And when I listen to the daily, which is the number two most listened to podcast on the internet, I go, "That was good." But I'm not hearing everybody in that. I'm not hearing 15 <laughs> producers. You know, at the end of the day, it's like they interview a New York Times reporter who has some really interesting things to say. But I've read the article. I could have done that interview. Get some, <laughs> get some original music. I'm good to go. I could have saved them a lot of money. I would just say in the flannel is nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh yeah. Back to never. Pardon me for all of that. Insecure much, John? Jeez. Right. Right. Wow. Damn. There was a mayoral debate on TV last night as hundreds of candidates squared off on issues of the economy and crime and so on. Jamal Green and incumbent Lori Lightfoot went after Willie Wilson for his suggestion that the police need to be more aggressive, hunt them down like rabbits, Willie Wilson previously said. Wilson's timing could not have been worse, of course, since this is the year of the rabbit and Indiscriminate aggression by police is exactly what we saw in the Tyree Nichols video this week. In fact, a video like that of police beating a suspect surfaced in Chicago this week. Did anybody watch all 90 minutes or listen to all 90 minutes of the debate? I got most of the way through, and it was, uh, I think I've got about 15 minutes left. I would say it was better than the first debate, for sure. Yeah. Uh, there was one part that I thought was particularly interesting on public safety where Lourdes Duarte was asking... Uh, Lori Lightfoot, sort of a, it was a bit of a loaded question, which automatically puts the incumbent on the defensive, which is what are some new things that you are going to do about public safety? And of course, you're kind of in a trick bag as the incumbent mayor, because if you have new things, the, the question is, well, why haven't you done those already? And if you don't have new things, everybody else is going to talk to you about, you know, 
why this mayor has no new ideas and she took the route of saying no there's nothing you know i'm going to talk about what i'm already doing and then she fought the, the anchor followed up again and said well, what are some new things? And she couldn't come up with any. Mayor Lightfoot, you point out that murders and shootings have gone down in the past year, which is true. However, when comparing crime stats to 2019, which is the year you took office, murders are up 78 percent. Shootings are also up 75 percent. Other than what's been tried already, can you name three new things that you would do if you are reelected? Well, it's not what I will do in the future. It's what we are doing now. Oh. We are constantly evaluating options to do everything that we can to make Chicago the safest big city uh, in the country and making sure that our residents feel safe because they are safe. And then you go over to Paul Vallis and he lists, he rattles off like, boom, boom, get boom. rid of the superintendent, uh, professionalize the promotion process, return to community-based policing, put police on a normal work schedule, invite retired officers to return. And then down the line, everybody's got all these new ideas. So I thought that that looked uh, pretty poor for the mayor. A couple of other things that I thought were notable uh, or maybe just annoying um, in no particular order. Brandon Johnson talking about helping the Austin community uh, while his employer, the Chicago Teachers Union, has been fighting for 10 years to kill quality school options in Austin. He lives in that kids. neighborhood. He lives in that he area. Lives in, he lives in Austin. Uh, Catalyst Circle Rock is an amazing charter school in the Austin community that CTU has been trying to shut down for years. Um, I visited them last week. Uh, and for him to say, you know, he's fighting on behalf of these Austin kids while his employer is doing that, I thought was disingenuous. He also said that the mayor and Paul Vallis have defunded the schools, which I have no clue what kind of numbers he is looking at to support that assertion. But the budget's up 55 percent over the last 10 years. CPS spends twenty eight thousand dollars per student and it's getting poor results. The poor results at CPS are not the result of underfunding it's been that budget that budget has massively ballooned over the last uh 10 years uh and then jamal green saying we need to start a city bank to give out home loans that was another one where i was like this is a grab bag of kind of ridiculous what's so crazy about that a lot of people in various parts of the city do have trouble getting loans and the idea has been that we should make that equity more available to folks who might not have the traditional credit scores or background that other people do i think the track record um, especially for the federal government of government-backed home loans as a sort of economic development program speaks for itself um when you don't take risk into account, you create these big housing bubbles and people take loans they wouldn't otherwise be able to afford. And it sounds nice on paper, but it ends up having some really horrible consequences for, for the housing market and especially for you know the most vulnerable people who get stuck with these loans that are completely ridiculous and they can't pay off. Well, I don't think they're going to be 110% loans of $400,000 houses. I think it's more modest. What about you, Eric? What are you thinking about? Well, what would jump out of you? Well, when Willie Wilson dismissed uh, Jamal Green by saying, I don't respond to kids, I thought that was a very strange tack for him to take um, because he's going to need whatever. He, I mean, he's going to have to find support in places other than where he got it last time. And if you want young voters uh, to come out and vote for you, you don't say, I don't respond to kids. Uh, Jamal Green is... I, think roughly 30 right i'm not sure how old he is i didn't look that up but i think he's 27 27, 27 yeah 27 okay okay well you know close enough and he uh you know to to 
to dismiss him out of hand because he's 27. I, I think that Jamal Green has a real future in politics and local politics. He's an impressive guy. Uh, he's got a lot of ideas. They're not all good ideas necessarily, but I don't think anybody you know, on that stage has all good ideas. Uh, I can see him being being a force to be reckoned with down the line. I, I doubt he's going to make the runoff this time. But to to say that about him was really uh, was really weird. The heckling also was was kind of strange. I yeah, couldn't, yeah. couldn't figure out somebody, some group of people. It sounded like a small group, but a noisy group. Well, people were heckling um, Brandon Vallis. Johnson and oh, as Brandon Johnson, I think were they heckling Vallis too? It brings to my mind the idea that I get when you ha- why you have local debates in front of in front of uh, an audience. I'm not sure why when you have something that's being broadcast like that, you need to have a studio audience for these people to play to, for the audience to play back on. For the most part, the audience was pretty well behaved in terms of of, of applause and so on. But I just think having having people in the audience like that invites that kind of disruption that, that is confusing. I think it, it was in the lead of the Tribune story, and, and they, no one seemed to know exactly what these protesters were mad about. But, <laughs> but so it's kind of a failed a failed. Uh, action, or maybe they were just trying to get attention. I, I mean, if they were just making noise, say about about Memphis, and they wanted to draw attention to that, that'd be one thing. But they were certainly targeting Brandon Johnson, and, and I'm not sure sure what that was about. From what I saw, I didn't see all of it either. But I thought Alderman King, Sophia King, she I thought she presented much better than she did in the previous debate. I'm not. She just seemed like she was sharper. She was really on her game. I haven't um, heard that much of from her or about her. She's you know doesn't get a lot of press. I bet she didn't have a lot of money. I. Th- when I hear her talk, I think, oh, that sounds pretty good. Um, she seems sincere and intelligent. Uh, you can at least discern those two things pretty quickly. And um, I liked what she said last night, Eric. Once again, Willie Wilson doesn't seem to have more than a couple of ideas that he keeps going to. Uh, you know, we're not going to you – know, taxes are bad. And if we lowered – I mean, he's got this sort of this, – this very simple view of taxation. We just cut all these taxes and people are going to move back into the city and revenues will go up. But I don't think he's thought that through at all, or he understands municipal municipal finance at all. So, but um, if I may, Eric, I, he wasn't the only one though that said that in order to improve. But the first topic was what do we do to keep the recession from hurting Chicago or the recession from right. coming to Chicago or something like that. I was glad they started there, and plenty of them said we need to stop chasing businesses away from the city and taxes are the way we do that well regulation is certainly another way or getting rid of the regulatory burden would be another way to keep chasing businesses out of town and they and some of them were very careful to say that they were not going to raise property taxes yeah right um and, and in fact you know property taxes really is it's really a county function i mean there are, there are city components to it. it it was one of those things where i thought there was they're, they're leaving themselves some wiggle room and it's just very hard to see how you're going to have an ambitious agenda without finding more money because the city's not going to have enough money to pay for the things these people want to do. The Willie Wilson stuff is fascinating. I'm always fascinated by Willie Wilson. His answer to almost everything was taxes, even even the violence question. His answer was, well, we're going to lower taxes. He's one of those candidates you could just keep asking how, 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 and you're, you're not really going to get a solid answer out of him. Um, but he's got his base of support and... I'm assuming that base of support is going to show up for him because I think as Brandon Johnson alluded to in a forum, not this forum, but a previous one where they they had asked each candidate to say something nice about the candidate next to them. He said that Willie Wilson has the most heart of anybody on the stage and um, is probably the most heartfelt, genuine person. I, I think that's believable. I think he definitely cares. 
about the city. There's no doubt about that. He just doesn't seem like the guy who has the answers all the time as to how to get it done. So I find that fascinating. I'm also fascinated by Lori Lightfoot being an incumbent usually brings power and strength, yet she she's often going on the attack. She's going on the offensive. And she's oftentimes, when in a forum setting, trying to make it a debate. Uh, there were many moments where the two moderators had to jump in and say, hey, this is not a debate. We're going to give you time to respond, this and that. And she wasn't really trying to have it. So I find that dynamic fascinating as well, as she feels that heat from Vallis. You know, she feels that heat. From, from Chewy and Brandon Johnson. And then kind of back to what Eric was talking about. I was, I don't think I recall seeing a branded progressive candidate get hecklers like that in a city like Chicago before. That was, it was, it was kind of out of left field. I, I don't know what they were saying. And, and as Eric pointed out, I'm not even sure if it was targeted directly toward Brandon Johnson, the candidate, or if it was more of a amplification of, progressive ideals or something with Tyree Nichols or something like that. Well, you know, you know, Austin said he saw most of the debate, but not all of it. Is it possible that Austin was removed by security? <laughs> was it Austin? who was, was I don't know. I'm no. just saying. I have an I'm alibi. <laughs> we, was at, we had a screening. We had our first screening of our documentary on CTU last night. So, which oh. we had some CTU people at actually. Incidentally, oh, really? we had our own little. Um, they were very, they were respectful, so no You'll, shade on that. Um, tell us more about that in a minute. But uh, what do you think about the notion taxes, more taxes? What what's the thing that the city needs to do to keep businesses in the city and to help them be successful, Austin? I thought of the candidates who had like a substantive response to that. I thought Paul Vallis's was pretty good. His first one, his first and foremost was um, the regulatory burden. So still, it's still the case in Chicago that as a small business owner, which is where most of the jobs come from in our city and state, that you depend on at least the ambivalence of your local elected official to be successful. Um, and that's because of zoning laws that are completely controlled by the aldermen, uh, you know, signage permits, sidewalk cafes, all of these things still go through uh, these local elected officials. And you really need to fix that. Uh, if you want to spur small business growth in the city, just get people out of the way. And then uh, his second answer was on public safety. Public safety has serious economic consequences. And until you solve that problem in Chicago, Chicago's going to have uh, a hard time attracting talent from all over the country uh, as long as that reputation uh, hangs on its head. So those two things are are definitely there. One thing that I wished candidates had talked about a little more is stability. And the fact is, in Chicago... Uh, because of the way the political system works, it's really everything is in the hands of the mayor. And when you have one person calling all of the shots, that can bring a lot of stability, uh, you know, a perceived stability when you have, like, say, a boss style daily person running the city and everything you need, you can go to him. But in the long term, I think it really creates uh, uh, a huge problem because uh, there can be fights within there can be uh, a lot of instability when you depend on one person for sort of uh, the answers to every problem in the city. Um, and finally, I would talk about debt. Debt is the huge anchor that hangs over the city. We have more pension debt than over 40 states. And when businesses are looking for where to invest, they're not going to invest in places with this huge level of municipal debt because they know that that means higher taxes on them in the future. I just wanted to uh, interject that uh, Alderman Tom Tunney, outgoing Alderman Tom Tunney, is endorsing Paul Vallis. He uh, had a news conference on Wednesday afternoon and announced that. And I, I'm not sure how important that is. Tunney represents uh, a north side ward 
and uh, I think is seen as a political moderate, and uh, but not a but not a you know a Republican or anything like that, which is what uh, Lightfoot is trying to say about Vallis. And uh, I think that could that could move the needle a little bit for some voters. Endorsements tend not to matter that much, but I think this one might carry a little bit more weight than than just your average aldermanic endorsement. On the other hand, you know, Tony also endorsed Proco Joe Marino for a seat back on the council, who, uh, you know, the guy who crashed the cars on the Gold Coast and <laughs> accused his girlfriend of stealing his car and all kinds of has all kinds of problems. So I'm not sure if I trust Tony's judgment, but. Uh, I just saw that uh, flash across the screen here. Well, the so. last survey I saw of the candidates said that the th- the big three, and they're not that far apart in this sort of poll of polls, was Chuy Garcia and Vallis and Lori Lightfoot, where some of the individual candidates' polls had Lori way down. It looked like they were all within a point or two of each other, 19 or 20 percent. But so many people are still undecided that – it's kind of anybody's game right now, don't you think? And that's where I think some endorsements can matter, especially if they're kind of against type. So Tom Tunney, you know, is a huge proponent of gay rights, definitely a staunch Democrat uh, on the North side. And then that's it's harder to cast Paul Vallis as like a conservative Republican um, picking up endorsements like that. But talking of city council, um, so Proco, Joe Moreno and Tom Tunney, um, it's really interesting how little of the discussion has centered around ethics for this whole race, hmm. um, especially compared to four years ago, right? I mean, that was the defining issue four years ago. I don't, it was not asked once in this debate, and I don't even know if it came up in the previous debate at all. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if that's actually reflective of Chicagoans not caring about corruption and ethics, or if it's just not a hot topic right now. What would the question be? Uh, what would you do? Uh, Chicago City Council has had more than 40 aldermen go to prison since the 1970s. What would you do to ensure that fewer aldermen go to prison? What was Lori Lightfoot's answer to that? Her answer to that four years ago, I think, would have been something around uh, aldermanic prerogative. Yeah, aldermanic yeah, yeah that's what I'm thinking. Uh, and she has done hardly anything around that. Um, that's a really thorny political thing to deal with. But in terms of real ethics reform for the city council, I, I, I don't think you can grade Lori Lightfoot as, as having awesome marks on that. Is it fair to say she tried to do something about that, but um, she didn't do it well? Not many people were joining her team on that. I mean, I do remember that being something she said at the outset. It's an applause line, uh, clearly during a campaign. But I think what happened was she moistened her finger and put it to the political winds and realized it was going to be an impossible battle on on city council. The aldermen like to keep control of the things. I mean, otherwise they become, you know, kind of... These are legislators who can't really do much. And when you're, when you have automatic prerogative, you've got people coming to you on bended knee asking for zoning variances and, and things like that. So, so you're not going to get a lot of buy-in for that. So I think she saw that as a battle she was going to, if she waged that battle at all, she was going to lose it. So why bother to, to, to do that? Uh, that seems to me to be my impression of her that she probably thinks it's a bad idea, but thinks that she's not going to waste any political capital trying to, trying to, ram that through i don't think it can i don't think it can be changed actually i mean it's Mm. the way things are i wanted to talk a little bit about the tyree nichols video and the beating that he took by five memphis police officers last month it is fair to ask when are the police going to understand that we will see what they did and we're not going to like it and we're not in a forgiving mood these days and it wasn't just the police too paramedics arrived and didn't rush to nichols rescue 
Um, Neil Steinberg said it's a blue thing, not a black and white thing. He's not the first one to sort of paint it in those colors. He lay there for almost a half an hour before somebody bothered to pick him up. Um, Eric, what was your thought about that that story this week? Well, my, I mean, it was completely horrifying to watch that that beating. And the, my my thought was, okay, I remember seeing the Rodney King video back in was it ninety one ninety two, and thinking, well, these cops. They were mad at, at this guy for Rodney King for running away from them, and they thought they'd just beat the crap out of him because they could. And if anyone complained, they would deny it, and they're the police, and they're the, these are just citizens, and they'd get away with it, and nobody thought twice about it. How you could possibly think that in this age when you've had so many police officers caught on video, disciplined, fired, and in some cases imprisoned by the evidence of these dash cam videos and these stationary camera videos, uh, how they think they can get away with it? What So – what more can we do? These This incident was caught on numerous cameras. These cops have to know that it's going to be caught. They have to know that it's not justified, That and that they're, they're going to lose their jobs and maybe their freedom over this. And so you sort of wonder, how, how psychotic do you have to be to continue to beat somebody under those circumstances? And I just don't have an answer. I, it makes me kind of despair of police reform. Like, these guys are better trained than... than, than 30 years ago, cops are much better trained now about how to de-escalate, how to handle these situations. So what's going on? I mean, it's it's uh, it's baffling. It's the culture. The culture, I think, is the ultimate problem. There's a culture of uh, hyper-masculinity and this idea that masculinity is enforced and reinforced through what violence you can inflict on others. I think that's still a culture that's widespread throughout police forces throughout the country. I don't think that police forces are still widely trained to look at people's humanity and dignity first. And I think that's why you see it the way it is. I, I think the black and white issue is is interesting because while this situation itself isn't a black and white, you know, issue, it does have to do with white supremacy, the, the white supremacist structure and what it's built over time. I mean, the origin of policing itself, the system is working out how it was intended to. The origin of policing is slave patrols. The origin of policing is enlisting these watchers to secure white capital for white settlers and stuff like that. And we're just seeing how it's evolved over time, become more sophisticated. But overall, the system is as the system is. So I think the only way to truly reform it is to really reform the culture around policing. You have to reform how exactly these officers operate we gotta you know have a situation where these officers aren't able to be part of white supremacist groups or be in white supremacist chat rooms and stuff like that we need to have a a culture that puts humanity of people first and looks to actually keep people safe um i didn't watch the tyree nichols video um i just couldn't bring myself to do it um but from what i've heard of it what i've the 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 moments that have been st- that, that have stood out, you know, him calling for his mom, running away out of fear, asking why they're doing this. I mean, this is just the the fear that many African Americans every day have of police. Um, we we live a life where I think I think white people kind of they've always looked at police as there to protect them and help them, and it's the opposite on our end, and we're seeing over and over evidence for black people saying, yes, yeah, see there, George Floyd, Eric Garner, Philando Castile, 
Sandra Bland's, Tyree Nichols, the list goes on. And so um, there's got to be some some real, you know, soul searching happening across the country throughout police departments. I will say I have to say there's been some good things to happen. There has been good police reform that has happened. Things that happen like this kind of like set us back and make us forget about the progress that's been made. But there's been some transformational progress ever since uh, the George Floyd Policing Act. You've had more candidates of color in chief positions for policing. You've had the hiring process more democratized. You're even seeing here in Chicago uh, police councils being elected upon and you're seeing a different generation of leaders come in. So over time, I think you're going to see some of these issues start to root themselves out. But a lot of this change is not happening soon enough. And so that's really the tough thing to grapple with. Um, and as, as I'm sure I hate to say it, but there's going to be another Tyree Nichols. There's going to be more if this system continues to maintain what it has. One concrete uh, reform in the wake of this that I think is interesting and a lot of discussion is centered around this is the fact that these officers were what was part of uh, something called the Scorpion program, which was one of these um, sort of elite, quote unquote, police teams. They're assembled for the broad purpose of fighting crime. These are common in cities across the country. But these sort of units operate with much more leeway and less oversight than regular officers. Um, But time and time again, they prove that putting officers in street clothes and unmarked cars and giving them less supervision and kind of an open mandate to fight crime, Mm -hmm. uh, it shatters community trust and it doesn't work. And the formation of these units in and of itself sort of speaks to a failure an operational and management failure within the police department. If you're creating these new units that are not don't, don't need to abide by uh, the culture and the rules that everybody else abides by, what are what are the point of those rules in the first place? And uh, that is what really struck me about this incident in particular. I also didn't. I texted a couple of friends about the video, and they said I regret watching it. And I think this is the first video like this that I've just not watched. Um, and I'm glad I didn't watch it. And I would encourage other people. I mean, of course, there is like a journalistic purpose to watch things like this. But um, often at the end of the day, I don't know if much is gained from it. Um, And I think a little part of you in watching it dies in a sense. Um, It's really brutal. And I would encourage people to sort of think more about that because it dropped on the video. And I'm saying dropped like it's a music video or something like it came out on a Friday afternoon everybody's texting about it and there's something about that that just seems very like sinister and evil and and gross uh about that so yeah that was that's one thing i thought of and then secondly i I was returning to there's an awesome uh piece it's called a better path forward for criminal justice police reform it was written in 2021 by two guys rashawn ray who's from brookings and clark neely who's from the cato institute and it lays out short-term medium-term and long-term police reforms that are pretty bipartisan. Um, they're very reasonable. I encourage people to to look at that. What what sort of things do they say? Do you remember what the yeah, highlights so are? Short short term, it was reforming qualified immunity. So, giving more uh, officers should have more skin in the game, like doctors or lawyers, when it comes to injuring people. So, uh, qualified immunity is something is sort of a legal doctrine that protects them from being sued individually, kind of for their acts. It, it makes it really hard to do that. Um, another short-term reform is creating national standards for training and for de-escalation. 
medium-term restructuring civilian payouts for police misconduct, this is another sort of skin-in-the-game thing, is officers needing to have some sort of personal liability insurance, as doctors and lawyers do. Um, otherwise, you have cities paying out sometimes hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in these lawsuits. And to the point about the culture, there isn't enough punishment for wrongdoing. Um, and if there is some kind of punishment in the fact of like, hey, I have insurance, and if I'm getting... Uh, misconduct complaints against me and they're yeah, found yeah, legitimate yeah. my insurance rates go up right right that is an actual felt punishment and kind of uh uh accountability mechanism almost deterrent uh, in a way to abusive behavior uh, yeah. Yeah. how do they deal how do they deal with this question of of uh, i think Rahm Emanuel put it the police going fetal where they just decide well I, you know that this guy's driving the wrong way down the street I, if i pull him over something bad might happen i'll just let him go and i'll i'll write parking tickets and, and jaywalking citations and and not worry about something because i don't want to get into situations that are going to raise my insurance rates uh i mean I, i'm not sure I, I buy that and that's part of the job obviously and if you say like I, i'm not i don't want to get into situations that are personally or financially risky you shouldn't be a police officer but exactly. I, can, I can i can but i can hear i can hear those the police union making those kind of complaints so i'm wondering if they address that at all yeah i mean i think it's all about how those reforms are approached and uh i think police like protect their own and if you are seen as attacking police or making their profession harder, it's I think te the teachers are, are similar in this way. You have to approach it in a way that's showing them that you're going to make their occupation better, not worse. There is definitely a huge problem with police morale. There's a huge problem with, I think, recruiting qualified people to become police officers, that if you demonize them as a, a category of people, you are only going to get people who are OK with being demonized in that way. Um, and that's that's a big problem if, if you know, so uh, it has to be approached very, I don't know what, how to say it tactfully or um, even lovingly, you might want to say. Uh, but otherwise, I think you're right, Eric, the police union has a lot of power um, and they're not they're going to bargain away these accountability measures. And you see that um, across the country when government unions are given extraordinary power. That applies to police unions as well, and, and we see that in Illinois. I was also just to circle back a little bit and take exception to your claim that uh, you shouldn't watch this video. I think it's important to watch it. My wife wouldn't watch it either, but I think it's important to see that the level of depravity to understand it at that gut level. It's like I think it was important to watch the Rodney King video. I think it's important to watch the uh, the George Floyd video to see what we're talking about, to see why people are so angry, to understand what the protests are about, that these are not, uh, this is not like a cop calling off and hitting somebody. And I'm going, why did you hit him? He was, you know, this is, this was a, this was a beating. This was a systemic, sustained beating. It's like five guys. They stood him back up the, at one point. Oh my God. Yeah. So I mean, they could and, beat him and, down. And I, and I think you. I think it was a gang really up. Need, yeah. I think you do need to see that. I think. I mean, as hard as it is to see, I think you do need to see it. You need to face the consequences of it. And I. I don't know if part of you dies when you see it, but but I feel like part of you gets a better understanding of what Brandon was talking about. The kind of fear that's out there. People say, like, yeah. "Well, why did this? Why did this? Why did uh, you know? Why did Tyree? Why did he run away? Well, he ran away <laughs> because he knows he's seen these. Kind of, he knows what can happen. So it's it, like I don't want to get. I don't want to. It's be such a conundrum because it's it's like. 
The videos show that if you resist or don't 100% comply, they said, get down on your stomach. He was on his stomach, but he was a little on his side. And he says, what Mm -hmm. do you want me to do? And then they just started to beat him some more. And so then he takes off running. Well, when you take off running, that only ends up worse for you. And yet it seems like it's the only option you have. I don't think lingering over this issue is a question that does come up sometimes. And that is, why aren't the, the, the people more compliant? Like, even if you're innocent, even if you're, doing, if you're the wrong guy, just do whatever the hell the cops say, because this could end very badly for you. In this case, he about was doing everything they asked him to do. What was it? There was like 60 or 70 commands he was given in the three minutes. You know, do this, do that. It would be impossible for him to sort of process all of that. They know that, too. What do you mean? They're aware of that. They, they're, they're perfectly aware in that moment that he wasn't in any position to comply with everything they were telling him to. He was physically unable to comply with some of the things they were telling him to do because they were physically making it to where he couldn't. You know, I, it's a, it was like a game for them. And that, I think that's the sick part. You know, on, on, the, on the video aspect, I'm kind of on both sides with Austin and Eric. I just think it's, it's personal preference, honestly. I think it is important for – I think about it like Emmett Till. Emmett Till, you know, here in Chicago, he's from Chicago. He went to the Deep South, mercilessly beaten, and his mother, Mamie Till, made the brave and bold and courageous decision to have an open casket funeral and to have uh, her son's body photographed and shown to the world in Jet Magazine. Not because black America needed to see, but because white America needed to see the horrors of of, of racism, Jim Crow, and brutality in the South. Um, so in that sense, I do think there is value. If that's what it takes for people who aren't aware of these issues or aren't aware of what goes on for the, you know black Americans, if that's what it takes, and if that's what's going to motivate some to action, it's a sad price to pay. But I, I say, okay, look at the video. I just know for me, I don't need to see it. I, I've seen, I've seen enough. I've lived enough. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've had my ass beat by police too. Excuse my language. So, you know, it, it makes you wonder too, like police are here to keep people safe. That's the whole point, right? What danger was this young man presenting? And was he keeping, were the police keeping anyone safe in mercilessly beating him? And I, the only answer would be, No, No. they weren't keeping anyone safe there. No, I don't think any amount of rules and regulations are going to change. It has to be the culture of policing and who you're hiring and who you're empowering in these positions. And once you see someone do something, flag them and stop them from being on the streets. And if they're worried about, oh, I'm not going to pull somebody over because I might get into a situation, then you shouldn't be in uh, in a position to do that anyway. And I just pray and hope that we don't see any more lives taken away from reckless police violence. It's funny, it's ironic that that word scorpion is an acronym there in Memphis, that tactical Mm. unit is about safe it's, it's safety in the cities for the people or something the letters all spell out scorpion wow. and so while it's this aggressive sort of hey we're the scorpions it's raison d'etre is to make the city safer and yet it wasn't that at all i yeah. my justification for watching the video you almost need one now don't you is i want to see what the truth is 
if you just believe the police in the Laquan McDonald case, you would never realize how blatantly great point. not only they were lying, but other people who saw the video were lying, too. Just one last observation about all of that, and it's the racial component, too, because I said it's more blue than black and white. Uh, but all the principles in this story are black. It would seem to me if there is a racial component to this, it is the disregard police hold for black men. So even though it was black men who were inflicting the beating, the more principally the, the victim of this beating was a black person. I wonder if those were all white officers or if that was a white victim. Do all of the different color combinations, if this was almost a worst case scenario for him or not. But I do think that race maybe plays a factor in that the victim of the beating beating was a black man as opposed to a woman or a white man. Yeah. I'm, wondering, I, I'm wondering if that uh, has some if that has some impact on the level of protest, which has not been great, uh, not been that high, uh, but it's also uh. the weather, right? I mean, it's like you, it, those two things certainly working together. Have, you, you haven't seen the, the destruction in the streets and so on. You've seen peaceful protests as I'm far glad. as everything that I know. Maybe, I mean, maybe, yeah, I'm too. I, I, that's, that's, that's uh, just an observation I have. That it might be that the timing is good. They also, they timed the release of that video for a Friday afternoon or Friday night because they wanted to make sure the kids were home from school and that uh, I think I think that was their, their they, didn't, they didn't want to tr- tie up traffic. They wanted to have a weekend to deal with it. Um, it seemed weird to me when, when they said we're going to do it on Friday night. It's like, really? When, when everyone's got a lot of free time, but but uh, it seemed to work, and I feel like th- this issue has gotten a lot of attention—the attention that it deserves—without without it being destructive and, co- and counterproductive in that way. Oh, at one thing on the black cops aspect, black because we haven't really had cases where it's black cops with a black a black victim within the black community. When we talk about policing, there is this thought that is widespread that. If you're going to call the cops, you hope it's a white officer, not a black officer. Now, you would think, why would that be the case? The reality that many feel is that black officers tend to be a lot more aggressive toward black victims as if they're trying to prove a point to their usually white subordinates. Um, And so in doing that. Hey, they know more or about superiors. You. They, yeah, yeah, more more superior. They're they're a different black than you in a sense, and that that feeling kind of regurgitated itself through this video as well. These five men, they really carry themselves in a way like, hey, <laughs> we're going to show you right. I, James Baldwin, the the literary genius he was, he had a great quote about the way black people deal with black officers and how. The reason black officers are feared the way they are versus white officers, even though white officers are feared, too, um, is that their entire reason for breathing seemed to be this hope or proof that though they were black, they were not as black as you or they were blacker than you or something like that. So um, I just think it's a fascinating thing. And it also goes to show that white supremacy itself, you don't have to be white to practice white supremacy yeah it's a, it's a system it's a system for that very reason yeah i'm thinking of kanye all of a sudden <laughs> Some yeah, of the things he yeah. said. You're like, kanye, what are you talking about austin's got to leave in five minutes i want to get five minutes then of 
the next conversation rolling in Austin, maybe your thoughts on that. We've been talking in this podcast the last few weeks about the DuPage County Sheriff and other sheriffs and even state's attorneys across the state saying they do not want to enforce the new state's assault weapons ban. But James Mendrick, the sheriff of DuPage County, who has famously said he's not going to enforce it because it's unconstitutional, now says that he is going to enforce it. And it's because after a meeting with the state's attorney and also the county board chair, it was explained to him that he won't have to go door to door asking people if they're in compliance. And since he doesn't have to do that, they've come to an agreement that he will enforce the law. I thought, what a bag of crap. That's not why he did it. Nobody ever said he had. The law doesn't say he has to do that. He knows better than that. The only reason he said that was because even though that was a popular stand to take with a small percentage of the people, he's an elected official. The pressure was building. And so they carved this little window for him to climb out of, which would be, okay, here's what we're going to say. You thought you had to go door to door, but you don't. So now you're cool with it. And that's what they're trying to sell. I find it very disingenuous. We saw last time we talked about this, this that it had all the markings of, of theater, these, these sheriffs doing this, that they had to know that, that uh, this was just a stand that they were taking and that they were trying to make a political point rather than a law enforcement point. And uh, he decided he was going to climb down from that. And I'm, I'm glad he did. But I, I share your bag of crap assessment, John. I, I couldn't speak to his motives for even saying it in the first place or retracting it, um, you know, personally. But I do think there is a problem that was highlighted here with legislation being passed in Springfield that has far-reaching and wide-ranging consequences that is passed almost with this intended effect. So it's going. we know it's going to get sued into oblivion, but we need to say we did something on gun control, so we're going to do it anyway. And I think that mentality is wrong. Uh, Of course, there's always going to be, you know, carnival barkers who are going to sue at anything and they're going to say any kind of criminal justice reform is, you know, letting all the prisoners out into the streets. That's and I'm not saying that you need to, you know, go on bended knee to all of those people. But I do think there's a problem in Springfield right now where policy decisions are being motivated by this need to get a win rather than a need to improve outcomes. And when you come at it from that perspective, you're going to get political theater like this. And we saw it with the Safety Act, and we saw it with this. Um, so I think that not to take you know any accountability off of Sheriff Mendrick, but I, I do think that is a problem in Springfield. Do you right think now. if this if this um, stands up, that it will be a good law? I have no idea. I would say that the evidence is mixed at best for this doing anything to stop mass shootings or gun violence. The laws like this. But, you know, we'll see. It's a good it's a good thing we have a laboratory of democracy in Illinois for things like this and we can measure the outcomes of it. I'm not hopeful that it will help gun violence based on history of laws like this. Well, as we as we've said before, that the nearly all the gun violence is committed with handguns and, and the gun, the gun, you know, the suicides and the, and the crimes and so on are committed with handguns and that and that the numbers of mass shootings that actually happen. I mean, and they're horrifying when you hear about them, but that uh, they are n- not statistically very large so that when you have a change in them it's hard to measure what caused that change uh, austin we're gonna let you go you got to uh, click out at uh, 3 30 right it's 3 29 and 30 seconds so you've got 30 more seconds if you want to say anything <laughs> are we doing recommendations i don't know recommendations. <laughs> yeah. i do have a cool recommendation yeah well you should uh, recommend your movie for one thing 
Yeah, that's one thing. So on February 13th, you're going to be able to see, I guess I'll, I'll probably be on this podcast that week, um, Local One, first ever documentary on the Chicago Teachers Union, um, produced by Illinois Policy. How will I watch um, it? It will be on YouTube in full. And I'm gonna, it's called Local One? It's called Local One. On February 13th? February 13th. Oh, we have man. some screenings across Chicago. Just in time um, for Valentine's Day. Brenda and I will sit down <laughs> with a glass of champagne and watch it the next day. I'm exactly. teasing. So, so t- just give us the elevator speech. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, it's screening. Uh, it's screening tonight. I don't think this will be out tonight, but tonight at the Landmark Theater, February 7th at the Davis Theater in Lincoln Square, February 8th at the Lyric Theater in Blue Island. And then there will be suburban screenings as well, but those are the Chicago ones uh, for our audience. The essential pitch is... The Chicago Teachers Union is the vanguard of a new kind of radicalism in the labor movement in the United States. And it started 10 years ago with the 2012 strike. Uh, And I think people in Chicago have an understanding that CPS is screwed up and CTU is very militant. But I don't think people understand the origins of that ideology, um, its progression over the last 10 years and its effect on school children in Chicago, in Illinois, and across the country. Mm. So this is the first documentary to look at that. It's very much in the style of our documentary on Michael Madigan in 2016, which you can watch at michaelmadigan.com. Similarly, you will be able to watch this at chicagoteachersunion.com because they did not own their own. <laughs> How are either of those addresses wow, available? Wow. <laughs> You'd think they would have learned from go- the Madigan thing. Hey, we these guys are going to get our URL if we don't own it up right now. I'm going to post my response at austinburg.com. <laughs> you know, and I suspect we'll hear oh, from them afterwards. I'm sure they're going to have something to say about this. But that's pretty amazing. All right, Austin, have a good afternoon, and uh, we'll talk to you hopefully next week. Peace. Thanks, guys. There he goes. So Eric noticed, I can't believe that I didn't. I mean, I knew that Netflix was cracking down. They had some sort of sample countries where they were trying out a new program to keep people from sharing their passwords. Eric noticed Mm -hmm. that Netflix is going to crack down on password sharing. They've talked about this before, but more details are coming out now about what and when it could hit in the United States. According to Netflix, the crackdown they placed on Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru could be coming to the U.S. by April 1st. If so, Netflix accounts will remain shareable, but only within one household. Well, I mean, that's and that's not really even shareable, right? I mean, I guess you can have an upstairs TV and a downstairs TV, but it has to be associated with your primary location. And so they're asking... Uh, viewers to connect at least once every 31 days and if they don't if you don't watch something on netflix in 31 days you get logged out or blocked and you have to go through some sort of process to reinstate your account uh when you're traveling according to what i've read about this that that you you know you now when i go to somewhere with an airbnb someplace i'll i'll just uh log in using our netflix credentials and we'll watch there now you've got to go through a multi-stage process where you go and you get a code from Netflix that allows you to watch at a distance for seven days at a time. It's the kind of thing that's just a, it's a hassle. It's like some of these publication websites that <laughs> sign you out all the time. And you're just like, I, I've yeah. logged in. Do I have to log in every time? And people complain about that with the local newspapers here. Like they're always asking for my password. Why can't they just remember who I am? When you make it, when you put all these hurdles up, I think you're going to start seeing people say, this isn't worth it. Or you're going to have these families where like, you know, they've, they've got a, a kid in college and it's a family account 
and you want to pay an extra what is it fifteen dollars a month for so your basic Netflix account now? You pay an extra fifteen dollars a month so your college kid can watch Netflix. Uh, I think people are going to get angry about that. I think they're going to just start doing things like you'll sign up for Netflix and then you'll watch you know all the shows you want to watch on Netflix and then you'll discontinue your account. And then you go sign up for Hulu and you'll watch the shows you want to watch on Hulu. That people are going to get more strategic about this because it's already pretty expensive to have these streaming services even if you've got some, a couple of shared accounts and and uh, you know Netflix says that that there are a hundred million freeloaders worldwide who are using unauthorized <laughs> accounts uh, I don't know how they figure that out but but uh, I, I know a lot of people who do it yeah and I think it's just uh, I think it's I mean, just kind of the way of the world and uh, I I, uh, I, just, I think it's probably a, a a foolish long-term decision for them to go to crack down so hard. I could yeah. see them having a situation where, okay, you can you, you can only have three, you know, five, four devices signed in at any one time on Netflix, and <laughs> you, that's it. And and so then yeah, you have four devices. So you're you're going to leave home on vacation. You got to sign out on one of them if you got four at home. Yeah, um, but the issue is what you just alluded to. But I mean, the, this is not about you going on vacation or your kid in college. I, I have access to most of the platforms. I don't even know which ones I'm paying for. I, I may be paying for them all. I know I'm paying for some. I would be surprised if I am paying for them all. And I, I think I'm probably stealing somebody's service. I'm one of the 100 million for HBO Max or somebody. I'll bet you. I, I honestly don't know. Yeah. And And this will work. If that use of that platform is tied to that physical household address, then I, I can't use it at my place, I guess, right, Eric? Because it's tied to your physical address at your house, right? So even though yeah. you gave me the password at my house, I can't use your Netflix account now, right? Well, that that will kill Netflix for a, or <laughs> HBO Max or whatever for a lot of people if they all go to that. But they don't rely on viewership numbers. Though. They just rely on subscriber information. What they're hoping is that that if I'm stealing your Netflix account or vice versa, uh, that both of us will then pony up for Netflix. Yeah, but I think I'm – and you know what? Well, in the case – you think so? Because what's your go-to Terribly. What's your go to platform? If you only had it's one a, platform, who would it be? Not Netflix. Probably HBO Max or uh, Disney Plus. And that's the thing. Netflix could have done this when there was less game in town, you know, when Netflix was the dominant streamer. But that's not the case anymore. Like, Netflix is now – in a position where they have so much competition and if you're going to cut off access to so many people you know in a in a in an infrastructure in a space where we build community through password sharing you know then you're you're just losing business i don't think netflix has built up enough great content to justify this idea that people are just going to buy an account yeah. Well, wait a minute. Hold happen. on. I wrote something down. We build community through password sharing. What does that sentence? <laughs> what does that sentence mean? It. What is that? Think about it. You make it sound like church. You're stealing cable. <laughs> what What are you talking about? Think about it, bro. Think about it. I I pay for Netflix. Okay. Yeah. And I have three of my best friends from way way back when using my Netflix. And then through that ecosystem, I use one of their HBO Max. I use another's uh, Hulu account, and I use another's Apple TV, and we all just kind of share the wealth in that regard, and we're able to, you know, talk about the same shows and collaborate and really, you know, be on the same page. If you cut that off for a lot of people, you know, you're, you're cutting off a little bit of that community. One of the ways I stay connected through friends is 
that password sharing and being able to have these shared services. Same, for, we have family accounts as well. Disney Plus, I pay for Disney Plus for the family. If, if Disney Plus were to start cracking down, I don't, I'm not sure how that would work. The problem Netflix has right now, really, is that they don't have enough quality content that will stay around long enough for people to stick with it. They keep canceling shows. They create a show. People get into it. They pull the plug under it. And then it's the same wheel over and over where they look around the landscape around everywhere else. That's not happening. So I, don't, I think this is going to backfire big time for Netflix because think about when music people, the music industry, they freaked out over Napster. They freaked out over LimeWire. They start trying to punish the people who want music and it backfires on them. CDs, done. <laughs> Discs, done. We went all toward a streaming model and now artists are getting paid less than they ever were for their music. And this is just, it's kind of the same thing over and over. People are going to pirate Netflix shows. We're, we're, we're going to find ways to watch Netflix shows. I'm going to put it on, I'm going to put it on a VHS tape and then bicycle it over to your house so you can watch the, uh, I, I got some websites on, for you. We're on Zoom <laughs> and I, I think I see an FBI agent behind Brandon. There. <laughs> well, it will be a test of the strength of Brandon's <laughs> friendships when they go, dude, I love this community. We watch these shows. We talk about them, but I don't like you enough for $15 a month. So I'm out. <laughs> But that's an interesting analogy, and, and I think what you're saying is 100% true, Brandon. We all watch these shows. We all talk about these shows. We connect with these shows. We don't pay for all these shows. And I, right. it's not their job, though, to, to, to build your little chat room. But, I, <laughs> but, but by the same token, if in the long run they lose total subscribers, then they're going to be sorry that they that they crack down on this, right? I, th- I think, yeah, I agree with that. And I think that what they ought to have done is do, uh, say, a, a advertising model the way, like I just watched Fleischman is in Trouble on, on Hulu, and it was interrupted every 15 minutes with a two yeah. minutes of commercials. Yeah. And, you know, that's sort of the price. And I, I don't know whose Hulu account we're using. I think it may be my daughter's, or, but I'm not sure. Uh, I know that a while ago we were watching uh, Hulu on my son's ex-girlfriend's account. And it's been <laughs> like five years since they've been together. And, I, you know, one, one idea that they might have thought of is like, is just have make and force everyone to change their password every three months. We had that at, at the Tribune. We, we were always having to change our password for security reasons. They would say, like, okay, this password is expired. Change your password. And that would allow you to at least get the people who've maybe come to your house and watched you log in or something and get those people uh, off the, the piracy thing. But I think the idea of saying that you can't share it with your, your kids uh, or when you go on vacation, making it a real hassle. I think Brandon's right. I think it's going to backfire, and people are going to say, we don't need Netflix anymore. Apple TV Plus is good. Amazon Prime is good. You've got there's, – there's so much to watch right now anyway. By the way, I want to thank those of you who recommended Southside to me. That was – that is such a good you show. You like that? so funny. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I uh, Yeah, that was it's uh, great. It's really, great. really – watch it, John. No, I think Brandon said here last week it's the Chicagoist of Chicago shows you'll oh. see. Oh, it is so good. So I haven't good. watched a minute of it. Brandon, you concur, huh? I concur. Watch Southside. It's it's a guaranteed laugh every episode. What, uh, what platform so is that on? And can I borrow your password? I don't know if I. <laughs> where, where where do you watch Southside? 
it's on HBO Max, so I got to get you my friend's account password because <laughs> I, I don't I don't have. It. <laughs> By the way, one last thing. Speaking of uh, the entertainment scene, Eric said in his Picayune Sentinel that rather than have best actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, you should have best performer and make them gender non-specific. You don't offer the best director female, the best director male, et cetera, et cetera. But when you get to the performers, you actually break it down by gender. Leave it to Eric Zorn to think of something like that. I've never thought of such a thing. So I brought it up on the radio, and I thought it was intriguing. A lot of people told Eric to pound sand. Uh, They called into my show on that. But Eric, why did you stake out that ground? Well, I, I just it really strikes me. First of all, that there is no difference in quality uh, of, of the, the physical demands made on on an actor versus an actress. That, that there's no there's no difference, and so I like the idea of of saying, well, okay, it's it's a different challenge to act in a comedy role or a dramatic role or maybe a musical role. So you could have best performer uh, in comedy, best performer in drama. You could have the same number of awards, but just not separate them by by gender. Uh, I also think they're running into a problem going forward, which is there are non-binary performers. There are people who don't who don't want to be an actor or an <laughs> right. actress. They 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 want to I mean they want to be an actor, which is which is uh, gender neutral or just performer. And uh, and so and you're gonna. I think you're gonna. We're gonna run into that sooner or later, where someone's gonna yeah. say, "Wait a minute, I had a great performance, but I'm no. I don't want to be pigeonholed uh, gender-wise." What's your so pronoun? Yeah, that hasn't come up in these, has it? That's well, a great should, point. So so I just think it's time. Wow. It's time to to do that to do that and uh, and to say, okay, we we do need gender categories in sports. I mean, I, I certainly support that. It's certainly logical that you have different physical abilities, but there's no reason why you need separate categories for actor, except that it draws interest. That's the only. And thing. then I guess you'd have to have ten instead of five because you do five of each right now. Say five best actor, five best actress. Would you give two awards? Would you give two Best Actor awards then? Yeah, you do one in drama. Best Performer. One. Oh, oh in comedy, one in maybe best, drama. Best, yeah, Best in Drama, one in comedy. They, they do that in the Golden Globes, but they also have the gender awards in Golden Globes. But they do have a Best a best Performance by an actor in a comedy. But, I mean, it's because it's a, it's a very different kind of skill. I mean, someone who's a great comic actor. All right, but you're going to have hell to pay when, of the ten, eight of them are men. Well, we, are, we already <laughs> have hell to pay with, 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 with ethnic breakdowns yeah. and i think that, that i think it's you know people need to have had their consciousness raised about that and it's it's important to have a diverse cast of nominees and people will yeah oh. sometime people will raise hell about it but but uh maybe it'll yeah. keep people's uh people's minds on that too i mean yeah i mean you wouldn't you certainly wouldn't have a, a you know blessed best black actor award that would be ridiculous um, yeah. but you do but you definitely want to keep no keep, but you uh, do have diversity. you did have black miss america i don't know if they still do that and you do have black specific award shows true i yeah. like the idea eric i i think if for nothing else because there's a certain logic to it costume design you don't say best costume designer by a male best female costume designer so why do we do that for the performers themselves it, it's tough because there's so many actors i think that's really what it is there's so many actors and actresses out there i think you'd have to give at least the same number of awards out for sure you know what for i mean sure the same number yeah Yes, yeah. absolutely, same number. But, but I think you still need to have two best performers in a sense, right? What's the best movie that you guys have seen this year? Oh, this award season. Say, is there anything lately that you're championing? Everything, everywhere, all at once. Fantastic! One of my favorite movies of all time. 
Hope it wins Best Picture. <laughs> I've watched it great. twice. I watched it again last night. It's <laughs> it's in my top three, I'd say, this year. How about you, Eric? What's I have not watched any movies this year at all. So I, I, when that when that all when these that streaming list services, you haven't watched anything. I'm, I watch I watch shows. I watch Southside. I watch oh, Fleischman. Yeah. I watch. Uh, we're watching The Wire now again. So oh, there you go. Uh, I, I looked at the list of ten nominees for Best Picture. I hadn't seen a single one. Oh boy, <laughs> I'm happy. Like, you know what, Eric? But, you are. But very- I feel with the, with the top ten top ten songs. You know, the, or the, the top hundred countdown. I look at them. I don't. I don't know. You didn't even see Top Gun. Yeah, really. I did not. That's I the funnest not. movie of the year. But the world is your oyster, Eric. Now you've got uh, as a person who's seen most of them. I'm so excited for you because there's some really f- the Banshees of Inner Sheeran is a, great film. Is to me the best. Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front is is large and magnificent. It's fantastic. Top Gun, just go watch that. They don't even have that <laughs> well, thing is. A, a, we have some. Blast. We have some friends who are in the Academy, and they have a party, a, like a weekend long party, where they screen all the Best Picture nominees. Wow. And we usually go to that. So, I, I do, but please don't tell the FBI about that. <laughs> <laughs> We're all going to jail after this podcast. Definitely that's, against the rules. <laughs> that's uh, Brandon Pope and Eric Zorn. Austin Burke had to click out. Uh, let's not forget to watch his movie. You can stream it on YouTube. I don't think you'll get in trouble for doing that. We're produced by Ben Anderson and Pete Zimmerman. I'm John Williams, and we'll drop another pot on you next week. Whew. All right. All right hey, what do you hear from Elif, by the way? Uh, my producer, Elif, popped in around the holidays. She's oh, yeah? uh, who used to produce this podcast. Yeah. And her voice still appears on a radio station now and again. Uh, she's still in California. She's now, if you check into um, a Hilton or a Hyatt, she may be the lady that will be making sure your reservation worked out. She's uh, working the front desk at a major hotel in L.A. She's also gigging on the side, uh, singing. She's in a writer's workshop with other people who are working on their music together. Uh, she hasn't hit it big, but she's um, not regretting her move out there. She went out there as an executive producer of a podcast and is no longer doing that. She's got work that better fits her life and, frankly, I think her personality, doing what she's doing now, and she likes it. She's got great benefits, and uh, so someday maybe we'll uh, we'll say original music for The Mincing Rascals was performed by Elif Garris. But that's, I love that. But that does not happen. <laughs> Definitely do that. Uh, or maybe she'll be nominated for Best Female Singer. Yeah, yeah, well... Perhaps. She's following her dream, man. She's following All her right. dream. Well, okay, if boys. we talk to her soon, give her our best. So. Yeah, it's nice of you to bring that up. You betcha. Yeah. All right. See you later. See you around, Barrett. Subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com. Mm-hmm.